The issue of shifting away from fossil fuels, ending the age of fossil fuels, uh, finance becomes such a core tool for doing that. And it's something that people really understand because they see us perhaps making investments in things like electric vehicles or building retrofits and all the things we need to do to decarbonize our energy sector. Um, those are like, it's very clear to see those things. But then when you realize that if you're still keeping your investments in fossil fuels, you are very clearly betting against yourself. And for us, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And we need to shift this, uh, spur this transition as quickly as we can. Cities and states have powerful roles to play in divesting from fossil fuels and directing investments towards sustainable industries. While national governments have the most reach and influence, there are a number of ways for these subnational actors to participate in the divest-invest movement and help pave the way for more widespread action. In this episode of Political Climate, we look at steps being taken by New York City and New York State to accelerate the movement of funds from brown to green resources. I'm your host, Julia Piper, and this episode is part of Political Climate's special series called Ditched on fossil fuels, money flows, and the greening of finance, which is being distributed in partnership with the independent environmental news site, Our Daily Planet. You can find episodes in the Ditch series at ourdailyplanet.com. To better understand the role that states and cities can play in shifting funds from dirty to clean, I figured, why not go to the home of Wall Street, the financial epicenter of the United States, New York? In 2019, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo signed a law requiring the state to achieve 100% carbon-free electricity by 2040 and economy-wide net-zero carbon emissions by 2050. As the country's fourth most populous state and third largest economy, this law is a big deal. But in some ways, it's just the beginning. New York was already a leader in going green, but stakeholders in the region will now have to up their game to hit these targets. Green banks are one tool at the state's disposal to help meet its ambitious climate goals. The New York Green Bank is a $1 billion state-sponsored specialized financial entity with a mission to accelerate clean energy deployment. In the second half of this episode, I speak to New York Green Bank President Alfred Griffin about how a green bank operates and the role that it fills in transforming financial markets. But first, we go local. In 2018, under the leadership of Mayor de Blasio, New York City became the first major city in the U.S. to pledge to divest its pension funds from fossil fuels. The city's five pension funds, which hold nearly $200 billion in assets, hold about $5 billion in fossil fuel securities spread across 190 fossil fuel companies. These pension funds are designed to support the retirement of city employees, including teachers, firefighters, and police. As such, they have a fiduciary duty to remain solvent and to maximize returns. Critics of New York City's divestment plan say it's all politics and that focusing on environmental, social, and governance factors in investing is irresponsible. However, as we've covered at various points throughout the Ditch series, there are negative financial consequences to ignoring the risks of climate change and foregoing opportunities in the rapidly growing clean energy industry. In fact, some people say that the city isn't divesting fast enough. While New York has taken some initial steps toward beating its goal to divest its pension funds from fossil fuels by 2023, activists are pressuring the city to turn that goal into a reality. 
In the first interview of this episode, I speak to New York City's Chief Climate Policy Advisor, Dan Zarilli, about meeting the city's divestment and investment targets. This has been a difficult and busy year for many reasons, but we still saw stakeholders pushing forward on climate action. And specifically in New York City, you worked on advancing a divestment policy amid everything else that I know cities are handling this year. And so I want to dig into that commitment, but first, could you start by explaining what the role of cities is when it comes to divesting from fossil fuels? Yeah, happy to do it. And, um, you know, I think what so many of us have learned over the last year is that, you know, even while we're going through this pandemic and this public health crisis, there's a larger looming crisis on the horizon that, of course, we're already living with its effects. And we can't lose sight of that and the impacts to public health and well-being that it's going to cause. And so it's been really important for us not to lose sight of the need to uh, really deliver on bold climate actions as a city. And let me just start with maybe a little bit of big picture here, because it's a question, I think, around what cities are doing and how we're doing it across a wide range of climate action. And divestment is a core tool in that for us. And, it, you know, it starts first with, you know, recognizing that we need to stop as a, as a city and as a world making the problem worse. And that's why we're committed to carbon neutrality and we need to decarbonize our economy. We're doing a lot of things to um, get greenhouse gases and uh, fossil fuels out of our building sector and energy and transportation and things like that. We're also already investing billions of dollars dealing with the impacts of climate change. We saw the impacts in 2012 with Hurricane Sandy, and we're seeing continued heat impacts here in New York City. We know that uh, the climate's already changed and we need to be adapting to that. Uh, and we're investing over $20 billion uh, uh, in a massive climate adaptation program here in New York City. And, and all of these are creating jobs. It's creating the new um, energy economy. And it's I think it's core that we're keeping our eye on the job creation aspects of this, particularly during the pandemic, as we're going to need to accelerate an economic recovery. And climate action is the way to do that. And then how it, how divestment fits into this for us is really about getting at some systemic changes that need to happen. And finance is such a core tool for us to think about um, how money flows, how we're investing, um, to make sure we're not investing against ourselves. And with the pension investments uh, that we hold as a city with other trustees, um, we see that as a core tool to take climate action and also to protect the retirees um, and make sure that we're, we're utilizing uh, and being prudent and um, recognizing our fiduciary duty to protect those pensions from what are, um, you know, energy stocks that have been underperforming for a decade or more and have a long-term uh, poor outlook. And so for us, the the issue of shifting away from fossil fuels, ending the age of fossil fuels, uh, finance becomes such a core tool for doing that. And it's something that people really understand because they see us perhaps making investments in things like electric vehicles or building retrofits and all the things we need to do to decarbonize our energy sector. Um, those are like, it's very clear to see those things. But then when you realize that if you're still keeping your investments in fossil fuels, you are very clearly betting against yourself. And for us, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And we need to shift this, uh, spur this transition as quickly as we can. Betting against yourself. That's a good way of putting it. Um, so you mentioned, you know, a pension fund there. I just want to spell out what the levers are that a city like New York can pull. And I know not every city is the same, but 
Is that kind of the main vehicle here for you is, is moving uh, where the investments are in the pension funds? Or are there other ways you can sort of influence this shift of money out of fossil fuels and into cleaner energy solutions? How would you break that down? Well, I, I think of it in terms of, I guess, two ways. One is the direct actions that we can take. And uh, we are one trustee. We have one vote on pension boards for the city and other elected officials and other union representatives have, have uh, votes and voices there as well. Uh, but we've been able to come together in partnership to recognize that this $200 billion uh, pension fund that we manage um, you know, was still invested in fossil fuels uh, to the tune of billions of dollars, and that we came together to make an agreement and um, a commitment that we were going to, we did this in, 20, in January of 2018, we're going to divest ourselves entirely of fossil fuels within the, the five years following that commitment. So by the end, uh, the beginning of 2023 is what we're on target to uh, be divested by. And so there's the direct actions that we can take to deliver on that. And also to think about how we're going to shift our investments into climate solutions, which we should talk about. And then there's the, the aspect of this, which is in collaboration with others. And we're one city, but we know that other pensions, other cities if they're willing to step up and make these kind of commitments, we can really scale up the impact. And we've done some cal- just rough calculations that if every pension fund across the U.S. Uh, was willing to shift into climate solutions and divest from fossil fuels, we could solarize half of the homes in the country just with that one action. And so there really is a, a big way to shift money away from the things that are causing our climate crisis and into the things that are going to be the solutions to that crisis that also create jobs, that are also uh, spurring the transition that we need, the just transition that we need, and uh, and getting ourselves to a, a, an entirely different uh, situation and, and stopping this uh, the climate destruction that we're already causing. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to get into the things that you are investing in. But yeah, just to echo this, it's interesting to talk to you in New York. You know, it's the home of Wall Street. So I think it is kind of a a good story to tell of how the city is really divesting, I think you said, in full, right? So you're not talking about just cutting out funding for drilling in the Arctic. You're truly getting all the fossil fuels out of the portfolio. Is that right? Is that right? That is the goal. And the way we've talked about it is um, is divesting ourselves from fossil fuel reserve owners. So the people who own the the fossil fuels that are in the ground, and partly this is because there is clear stranded asset risk. And when you look at the prior performance over the last 10 years, the energy stocks uh, have generally been the lowest performing uh, stocks in, in all the indices and all the indexes that are uh, uh, that are used. And that the outlook is clearly um, poor into the future. And you're seeing that with the policy shift that it's just untenable to think that those reserves are going to be worth anything. And so from purely a financial perspective and a fiduciary duty to our investors uh, and to the pensioners that that are planning on, on using this pension for their retirement, we have to recognize that there's some there's a real imbalance in, in the value and, and how those are being perceived versus how they're actually going to perform in the future. And, and that's, I think, the financial point is, is really clear here for us that um, we need to shift away from these investments um, purely to protect our own in- investments and our own retirees from that risk. So I know that 
you know, people want action fast, obviously. People who care about this issue, we know that the climate crisis is real and it's already upon us. And so I understand that in January, Mayor de Blasio selected advisors to analyze, evaluate, and recommend fossil fuel divestment plans. But I know that activists still want more action faster now, you know, following through on these commitments that you've outlined. So where does that stand now? Has it evolved beyond the evaluation stage? Well, I would start with saying that we're very much on track with delivering on our initial commitment of being divested uh, within the five-year period. It's been a very thorough process, partly to prove the financial benefits and the fiduciary analysis that's been accomplished, um, that we're taking all the right steps uh, in order to protect our, uh, our, our own investments. And so in, in January, when we announced that we had selected those advisors, we have now spent the entire year um, undertaking that analysis. That work is coming back in front of the um, in front of the boards themselves. Um, should be by the end of this year, so that we'll be able to to take action next year. Uh, and so we're very much on track with being able to deliver on that commitment. And you know the the exact um, divestment plan is what's being worked on right now. That analysis is going to come up with the right way for our. Uh, our pension funds to take this action to deliver on the commitment. So we still have some more work to do. And, you know, the advocate community is very much going to continue to push us to deliver on these commitments. It's, um, it's, and they're right to do so. They, in a lot of ways, they put a lot of wind in our sails to take big, bold action that needs to be taken. And, um, but now we're in the process of doing all of that analysis and work to, to deliver on the commitment and to start taking the action to move those, uh, move those, those stocks and move those investments. What would you say is the hardest part? As you said, you're in there doing the work of crafting the plan. Um, what do you think makes that part tricky? I, you know, I think that what the, the folks who are doing that work directly would tell you is that it's it, it becomes down to like definitional things of, well, this company is uh, 30% invested in this thing over here that's, that's fossil fuel based, but they do other things as well. And so making sure that we are getting at the core issue, which is getting our investments out of fossil fuels um, and doing it in a smart way that doesn't introduce uh, unnecessary risk into the portfolio itself. And, you know, there's a there's a natural set of things that we need to do to diversify our investments and make sure that we're being smart and, and living up to our fiduciary duties. But we want to be clear that it's, you know, we need to get ourselves out of investments in those fossil fuel reserve owners. And so the definitional aspects of this that we've seen play out with other investors. And I think I've seen it with um, the government of Ireland uh, divested and they put out their definitions of how they're doing it and how they're defining what's a fossil fuel um, investment. Uh, everyone is sort of coming to this, um, these sort of questions on their own and figuring out what is the right net set of steps for themselves. But I'm, I'm confident that we're gonna get to a place where we are, um, we are going to be, we're gonna pull the trigger and start divesting that uh, out of those fossil fuel reserve owners and and be on track for the commitment we've made. So you mentioned working with other cities. I know there was an announcement just this fall uh, via C40, an organization of cities. Can you just describe what C40 is and what that announcement was that you made this fall? Uh, absolutely. And this is really, you know, when we think about the types of actions we can do, the things we do in New York City in our own direct action is really important, of course. Uh, but the things we do in partnership with others is a whole different way to scale up this action. And C40 is an amazing partner for us. It's a group of um, the most ambitious climate-leading cities across the globe. 
um, that come together in partnership to scale up and, and, and raise our own ambitions and take big actions and learn from each other. It's a, it's a great platform. And um, in, uh, in September of 2018, we partnered with, uh, with C40 to develop something called the Divest Invest Forum, um, co-led by New York City and London. So two of the great financial capitals of the world, they're really the smart money, like sending a major signal that fossil fuel divestment is a, is a mainstream action to be taking. In fact, it's a smart action to be taking. And we mobilized other cities as part of this forum in order to share best practices, case studies, um, you know, we convened workshops, um, put out toolkits, all in the in, with the goal of helping other cities to start taking these steps themselves and to, um, you know, make public statements that they want to be divested in their own in, um, in their own cities and uh, to start going down the road to do that in a in as smart a way as possible. And so it's been a really phenomenal partnership with C40 and London and other cities that that culminated this uh, fall with a declaration that now 12 other major global cities from three continents have stepped up and said, we want to do this too. We're committed to divestment. We're committed to investing in climate solutions. And it's a major signal, I think, out to the marketplace that big investors, um, cities are, um, are, are pointing themselves in this direction of being divested from fossil fuels. And I think it's the kind of thing that gets noticed. I think we're seeing this in lots of different uh, spheres. It's not just cities. We're seeing big asset managers and insurance companies and others around the globe. It's all sending this major market signal that the the age of fossil fuels is coming to an end and, and we need to uh, move the finance that's going to get us into a place um, to build what's coming next. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't note that my mayor, Mayor Eric Garcetti, is currently the chair of C40. <laughs> um, so I know he's involved as well. But yeah, it's interesting to see these cities come together. Do you recall some of the other cities that aren't New York and London? What are some other cities that got involved that maybe people might not think of as being at the forefront of this? Well, I mean, in, uh, the leadership of Mayor Garcetti within C40 um, has also um, been a part of this forum. So he also joined that declaration with us in September, but it's, it's global cities as well. It's, um, you know, Berlin, Bristol, Cape Town, Durban, uh, Milan, New Orleans, Oslo, Pittsburgh, Vancouver, and the list is growing. We're going to have more to, to add to that um, over the coming months as more cities are stepping up to join with us in this. And, uh, you know, it's been one of the most rewarding things um, to be able to work on here in New York City is, you know, getting other cities to really think about um, the systems change that needs to happen on climate action. Uh, you know, we spend a lot of time on the, the very necessary, but also very technocratic things of, uh, you know, energy systems and transportation and electric vehicles and uh, waste streams and all that's really important. But the finance of it is not always a natural wheelhouse for the, you know, the sustainability professionals, um, or it hasn't been until recently. And so it's been really exciting to bring new people into the fold and to get the sustainability professionals in those cities and those policy advisors working with their CFOs and their investment advisors and others to really think about how to have big impact on the, on the financial streams that are, you know, have historically led to so many of the problems we're having with our, our climate but also can be redirected into being part of the solution. And I think that's, uh, it's, it's something that um, cities are more and more waking up to the reality that they do have 
um, maybe not full control over these uh, choices, but they have a lot of influence. They have the bully pulpit. And when you're talking about cities like a New York and a London that are, you know, home of the of the so many of the of the world's financial firms, we have some real influence to uh, to affect change in this regard. Yeah, I want to ask about that because a city's actual holdings or its control, its investments directly, I imagine are relatively small compared to say, you know, a big asset manager like BlackRock making a commitment to uh, move money out of the most polluting fossil fuels. That's not to say cities don't matter though, of course, because as you said, they really set the tone. They're, they're political leaders, so they can make different kinds of requirements or set benchmarks or at least, you know, be public about what these kind of commitments mean and put pressure on the financial sector in that way. Are there any other tools like that? I mean, again, New York's home to Wall Street. Can you work directly with banks and financial industry players and help with information sharing or, or even regulate those financial players in some way as a city? Well, so we're certainly, you know, we talk to them uh, quite often. We have lots of different ways we can engage with Wall Street. Um, we don't have direct regulatory authority over these sort of things as a city. A lot of that is a lot of that regulatory authority is held by the state and the federal government. Um, but what I think is important is the um, the ability to influence, the ability to shape, and and to use the the media to like help send signals. And to when we take action with our own investments it can help send a wider signal out to the larger marketplace that I think is really helpful. And then of course, there's the, you know, there's the more indirect roots of, of other policy. And I think about something like how we are, um, uh, in, we've introduced world leading legislation to retrofit existing buildings um, away from fossil fuels and to be much more energy efficient. And that has a, I think a ripple effect across the entire um, you know, real estate industry and real real estate investment industry that also has like an indirect way into setting what is the new normal for how Wall Street is investing and thinking about um, that particular segment of their investments. And so there there are things like that where we have more, I think, the ability to to influence policy and to shape policy at the local level and in a city like New York um, can really shape the larger investment landscape because other cities see what we're doing um, pick up on those examples. We learn from each other and it sets, I think, a larger uh, platform for influencing those sort of investment decisions as well. So, yeah, so you're not just talking about the divest and moving money out of fossil fuels piece there, but sending the market signals to encourage investment in these decarbonization solutions. Is that right? That's right. And that's, I think it's been important for us that we not just be in a position of saying no to fossil fuels, but that we're saying yes to the climate solutions that we need to transition our, our energy economy in the, in the United States. And so, um, you know, it's coupled very closely together that, yes, we're divesting. We're also investing and investing in, in real climate solutions and, and uh, you know, using our own pension funds to push for more investments into wind and solar and energy efficiency and the sort of job creating investments that are going to help us deliver on the Paris Agreement. Um, it, I think that sort of that tying together of divest and invest has been, I think, really helpful for us. And it's not just that, you know, we sell the fossil fuel stocks and we use that exact money to buy, you know, uh, non-fossil uh, climate solution stocks or something like that. But it really is thinking about the, the, the overall holistic makeup of our investments and, and working to align them with what the Paris Agreement ultimately demands of us. And, and finance, again, is just such a key tool to be successful in delivering on that. 
That's a good distinction and a bit of nuance that it's not like you just take $1 from an oil drilling project, say, and it goes right into an offshore wind project. That may happen, I'd imagine, but it's a little more complicated in terms of how the money flows and the timelines and and the companies themselves that you're investing in and what's in their portfolios. So I think that's a good bit of nuance to remember as we think about what this movement's all about. It's that's exactly right, and I'm sure you know our investment folks would um, would scream if I uh, tried to convey that it was that one for one, uh, you know, move a dollar from here to there. It really is. There is a larger set of complicated issues around diversification and risk and reward profiles that we need to manage as investment managers. But by setting clear targets, we want to um, divest ourselves from you know what's causing the problem from these fossil fuels and the fossil fuel reserve owners. And at the same time, we are working to double our investments into climate solutions and doing all that within the larger landscape of, um, you know, the diversification and risk profiles that we need to maintain for the good of the, the pensions themselves. But it's it's all becomes holistic and baked into how how those pension funds are being managed. So understanding you can't give stock recommendations or anything like that, but what are the kinds of projects that both meet that need to decarbonize and maintain your fiduciary duty to the pensioners and, you know, producing a return on investment? Are there buckets that you're looking at that are promising there? Or is it actually a problem to find those investments right now? Um, no, I think it's it really is about just challenging our investment managers to go out and find them. And they are they're very much they exist. And it's whether it's in the infrastructure sort of stocks and big renewable energy investments that are happening. And, you know, we're seeing the offshore wind industry take off in the United States, and that's going to create a whole nother set of opportunities. I think there's a whole set of things in real estate where you know, decarbonizing existing buildings and building new buildings to a much higher net zero type of standards is a clear opportunity. Uh, and then there's all the energy efficiency work as well that uh, that I think creates huge amounts of jobs. And, you know, it's largely driven by policy in a place like New York City with our local laws and building retrofit mandates. Um, but I think all of them, both local and global, is, is obviously what we're looking at with a, a fully diversified portfolio. Uh, and it, it really is just about challenging our investment managers to, to, to reset their expectations and to go find those investments. We know they're out there. We know there's just so much pent up demand to, to transition our energy, our energy systems. And, and I, I think there's just so much more that is, is coming and is underway at this point. Yeah, that's interesting to hear you say, and I, I don't disagree based on everything I've learned about this, but also, I guess, adding some skepticism that there's enough of those green investments right now or that people are aware of them or know where to find them because because the returns there, as we covered in a previous episode in this series, uh, typically weren't as good for green energy as they were in oil and gas, historically. Now, that is changing. We are seeing oil prices plummet. We are seeing companies like Exxon uh, really have troubles in the market. So the tide is turning, I think, but it's definitely a transition that I think is uh, still underway and finding good equitable green investments today where, you know, a real critical mass of investors can put their money is going to be a space to watch. And I think we're going to need a lot more action there. It's kind of connecting my work uh, previously reporting on the energy transition and the companies there and how they're growing with now the financial world. And they're starting to now play with the big guys. And I think it's just hitting that point where they're playing in such a way that people can really move big amounts of money from brown to green. Um, does that resonate with you in any way? 
I think it absolutely does. And I think it's it, there is a larger transition underway that is just poised to, to really take off. And let's not forget the role of subsidies that have kept the playing field from being far from equal in this regard. And I think that has to be another whole you know, conversation or stream of work around getting those implicit fossil fuel subsidies out of the system that have propped up those investments and made them more profitable or more more seemingly profitable than other things. Because I think once you once you put them on an even playing field, we've seen it around the world that renewables are outperforming fossil uh, time and time again. And, and the, the price drops that we've seen in solar, just as one example, is, uh, you know, now that is the like the cheapest way to provide um, electricity into the grid in so many parts of the world. So I, I, I think it's um, there is a there's a really important conversation on subsidies that needs to be had to really make sure that there's a, there, there's an even playing field. And in that regard, I think the renewables will uh, clearly outperform. Great. Any final word before we sign off here? No, this is really exciting. And it's um, it's been a pleasure to be here. And I, um, I've been a fan of the, the series already and uh, look forward to hearing more on this. And, you know, I think it's um, it's just so important that there are now great platforms to be having these conversations about this energy shift and what uh, what our climate crisis demands. And so New York City is doing everything it can to, uh, you know, get ourselves off fossil fuels and decarbonize our economy and, and build resilience against what's coming. And these sort of systemic changes that we're talking about today in our financial in our financial system are, are such a big lever that we need more people to be pulling. And so um, we're excited to be at the front of this and working with other cities to deliver on these commitments. Great. Well, we will leave it there. Thank you so much. For additional context on that interview, environmentalists have been urging officials to pull fossil fuel companies out of both the city and state pension funds in New York since Hurricane Sandy slammed into the coastline in 2012. As we just heard from Dan Zarelli, New York City is making progress toward that goal. But New York State is another matter. While Governor Cuomo and state lawmakers have set ambitious goals to cut carbon emissions, the state pension fund has not committed to ditching fossil fuels from its portfolio. A bill known as the Fossil Fuel Divestment Act has been introduced in the New York Senate for four years in a row, but has never made it out of committee. As the global divestment movement picks up speed, climate activists will be watching closely to see if the state pension fund follows the city's lead. Speaking of state-level action, let's turn now to look at a way that states can support the invest side of the equation and help move more money into low-carbon solutions, that being via a green bank. A recent report released by the Rocky Mountain Institute, the Green Finance Institute, and the Natural Resources Defense Council found that green banks around the world have invested over $24 billion in low-carbon technologies to date. While there are different green bank models in different geographies, they're all working toward unlocking greater investment to meet climate and sustainable development goals. The New York Green Bank is a critical component of Governor Andrew Cuomo's climate and clean energy agenda, formalized under a law that sets the state on a path to economy-wide carbon neutrality and a 100% clean electric grid. Alfred Griffin is the president of New York's Green Bank. In this interview, he describes the role that the Green Bank can play in accelerating the energy transition. Hi, Alfred. Thanks for joining me today. So to kick things off, can you explain what exactly a Green Bank is? Well, a Green Bank is a publicly backed financing institution 
that seeks to expand clean energy financing markets. So being the New York Green Bank, we focus on this, the state of New York. We have uh, $1 billion of capital and we seek out those market opportunities where there is an economically viable project or portfolio of projects to deploy clean energy assets where there's a lack of current private market support and we step in and play roles to, to help ultimately pull in private capital to support these markets. So how is a green bank created? How does it come to be and where does the funding come from? I guess this would happen through a law or something and then you pull in public funds and then from there you help attract private capital. Am I, am I saying that right? Yes, we, we were, New York Green Bank was announced uh, by Governor Cuomo in the 2013 State of the State Address. Uh, we were established by the Public Services Commission in uh, December of 2013 and commenced our operations in 2014. Uh, we're a division of NYSERDA, which is the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. And uh, our capitalization comes from ratepayer fund funding, which is why the Public Services Commission is involved um, via the system's benefit charge on uh, ratepayer bills in the state of New York that fund a number of energy programs, including the capitalization of New York Green Bank. So we were established, we were capitalized, um, and you know, from there we uh, built out our operations and team and uh, started uh, working with market participants, energy services companies, project developers, and so forth, and financing partners to, to finance the deployment of clean energy assets in the state of New York. And, and clean energy assets include solar and wind and energy efficiency um, rather than energy generation, doing work around buildings to reduce the, the energy burden of those buildings. Transportation, uh, we financed uh, City Bike as a clean form of transportation prior to their um, acquisition by Lyft. We have provided financing um, in support of low and moderate income multifamily housing, uh, a long list of, of transaction types. We have invested uh, over $1.1 billion uh, to date, and we have uh, been refinanced out of about half of that. So we think we've done a good job of actually demonstrating that if we lead the way, help create scale and precedent, that private capital will follow us, refinance us, and we can move on to the next, next set of business models that'll help us reach our climate goals. So you mentioned bringing along the broader financial sector. Why is that necessary? Aren't the banks and the big asset managers, you know, investing on their own in all the green stuff we see out there? We see big commitments coming from them. So why is it helpful to have a green bank, this public-private partnership there, to help the private sector come along? Well, you're you're exactly right, uh, Julia. There there have been very substantial commitments made and a lot of interest with the largest institutional investors in the world, the, the, the banks, the insurance companies, pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, et cetera. Um, I think, a, I think a, a, a critical element of that is these tend to be the larger institutions around the world that have project finance teams, structured finance teams that finance these types of assets. And those institutions need to be able to put substantial amounts of capital to work relatively quickly. And by substantial, I mean hundreds of millions of dollars. So where you have a large um, you know, single project that's like a large wind farm 
or solar farm that's more of a utility scale type project that may be say a billion dollars in cost, there, if it's a well-structured deal, there is no shortage of capital to, to fund a transaction like that. Or if you have an established you know, portfolio that's of size, um, like say the, uh, an example might be Solar City with residential or Sunrun with residential um, residential rooftop portfolios where they've they have you know billions and billions of dollars of of residential rooftop assets that they are financing. There is ample private capital to support a transaction like that. But but very important business models that will scale like that, but they haven't scaled to that point yet. Like, for example, community distributed generation, community solar in the state of New York. That is a scalable, creditworthy business model. But until it has the scale, like I've described, it's, it's not going to have access to this institutional capital. So we, we can step in, create financing structures and pricing structures that we expect to be attractive to private capital once that particular part of the market scales. So we seek to you know, bridge into private capital. And, and, and generally speaking, we see scale as being the biggest issue for creditworthy projects to, to be able to gain access to those capital sources. So by that, you mean the projects themselves aren't big enough? It's like, a, like it's hard for a Goldman Sachs to interact with a community solar project because it's not almost big enough that project for them to really invest the time and resources into making that investment. Is, is that right? That that's right. Until there, you know, you may have a developer that's building a lot of community solar projects. Each community project, com- community solar project is relatively small. Um, but on a portfolio basis, the the institutional investors like you know the Goldman Sachs of the world um, will will I expect be stepping into that market. But until a developer has um, has, has demonstrated that they can actually you know execute on their pipeline of opportunity and start scaling, you're typically going to have um, less interest from these pockets of private capital. And, and so when you have a newer business model, you can have a very credible team, a very credible plan, and what looks to be an attractive market. But if you're starting at sort of zero or one, um, but you have an opportunity of 500, say 500 million of market opportunity out there, it would be a, a typical response from a institutional investor to say, I really like the team. I really like the model. It seems to all make sense, but come back to me when you've done a hundred million of this, because then I can really put the resources of this firm to bear. And so we, you know, we, 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 we seek out those types of opportunities we, where we expect that might be the conversation with the bankers or the investors and, and, and seek to help them get to that point that it will be a better fit for these, these larger institutions that need to put substantial capital to work in order to, um, you know, ma- maximize the impact for their institutions. Got it. So we started this series by looking at divestment, going all the way back to university movements and activists who put the fossil fuel divestment movement really on the map. But of course, the conversation has evolved. And now in this conversation, we're talking about what to invest in, the greener stuff. I'm wondering if there is a connection between divestment policies and then green investments, if there is a real link there, or if the green stuff, at least in your world, kind of exists in a separate space. What do you think about that? 
Well, I think I think on a on a standalone basis, um, clean energy and investment is a, a very attractive area of investment, and um, and and it, it not only can generate um, very attractive returns compared to other asset classes, but it can also do good and help meet objectives in terms of in terms of uh, reducing greenhouse gases and having a positive impact on on climate change. Um, I, I do I do expect that you know uh, the, the broader theme that we're that we're seeing where you know lar- large pockets of capital like the the, glo- you know, the pensions around the world and in the U.S. that are having conversations about divestment and if not having those conversations yet are certainly looking to to have a bigger footprint in in terms of clean energy investment. But you know that 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 broader set of conversations I think is certainly you know, creating a lot of activity in terms of fund formation and um, and different institutional capital providers um, becoming very focused on this market and making large commitments as relates to this market opportunity. I mean, I, it seems like every every almost every day now I see I see a, an announcement about a particular fund or investment firm setting up a setting up a you know an ESG or a clean energy focused. Um, you know, investment investment team and and uh, a variety of reasons for that. Part being just this is a tremendous opportunity and there's a lot of customer demand for these types of assets and they need to be financed. But I expect the backdrop of um, divestment and so forth is all you know is also playing into that into that landscape. It's interesting thinking about these different push pull factors. Obviously, the social license of fossil fuels, the divestment movement pressure on that front is one driver. But then, as you just noted, the attraction of the green stuff and it being a legitimate business opportunity now, it feels like that's a real tipping point in the economics of this story. And it's interesting for me, having covered the energy transition with startups, you know, back in 2014 that were relatively small companies now growing, being invested in, making exits and really becoming the sort of big green players in the space. So it's no longer just big oil. It's interesting to see. The energy transition meets the finance transition at the same time. Of course, they're related, but it's it's a watershed moment. I agreed. I mean, it's, it's very exciting on the consumers want clean energy and more f- efficient buildings. Uh, corporations do, you know, states like the state of New York do. We have great uh, climate leadership. There is the the need, there's the demand for these assets uh, to finance these assets that that do have, um, you know, attractive returns, but large upfront investments require capital. And, and I, you know, I, I think the, you know, the demand side and the supply side are, are coming together nicely. Um, but there still remains, as described, the, the need for, you know, organizations like New York Green Bank to, to step in and help accelerate deployment of, of um, assets related to some of these newer business models that, that will evolve, have evolved and will continue to evolve um, as we seek to meet our, our climate goals. So you mentioned these earlier types of business models. What are you excited about in that space? I know you have given some examples, but what would you say is on the leading edge of coming to scale, a place where really the Green Bank has an outsized impact. And I'd love to bring in the concept of, of equity, energy equity, along with just the green elements, because I feel like people are trying to be really conscious of what they're putting their dollars in and that it's also doing good for the community in addition to actually producing a return. So what do you think is sort of the tip of the spear in, in that regard? 
Well, great, great question. Uh, area we're putting a lot of time into. Um, I, I'd say there are a few, a few categories. Certainly, buildings and uh, you know multifamily uh, properties that are in in low and moderate income communities is a, a big emphasis. Electrifying those buildings, um, cleaner energy and a positive greenhouse gas impact, but cleaner air. Um, for the communities, making those buildings more efficient, that helps reduce the uh, energy burden, as well as provide a more comfortable living space and reducing greenhouse gases. That is, in fact, a very significant um, focus of, of New York Green Bank. The community solar um, market is, is a market that we expect to, to still be, continue to be involved in over the next year or two as it continues to scale. And and community solar creates quite a bit of equity um, versus residential rooftop, both very important growing markets. Um, but the nice thing about community solar is you're not tied to a roof where you need to be a homeowner. The uh, consumers of the, the clean energy are buying you know, credits from that location. You can be a renter. Um, you don't have to own a home. You can sign, you can enter into shorter term contracts which um, it's our understanding from market participants that low and moderate income community members typically are a bit skittish about entering into say a 20 year fixed price contract and having the ability to have you know, short term one year contracts or index based contracts and so forth enables more participation among those communities. So we're excited about that in terms of getting more solar into the um, hands of, of a broader set of customers. We, we expect storage over the next couple of years to be a, a big area of focus. We're starting to see a lot of traction there, and, and that can have a very direct impact um, in these communities and that um, you know, storage is a great replacement for fossil fuel peakers that tend to be located often in low and moderate, near low and moderate income communities, not in the nicer, you know, higher income neighborhoods. Uh, transportation, um, you're thinking about bus depots, trucking depots. Uh, th there are, um, you know, typically you have a lot of traffic of these types of vehicles can tend to be concentrated in, in low and moderate income communities and, and getting those vehicles um, electrified will, um, not, you know, not only play an important role in greenhouse gases, but an important role in terms of air quality and quality of life in these communities. So those are all areas that we expect to see a lot of in activity in in coming years that have a direct impact in terms of equity and, and providing benefits to LMI communities and neighborhoods. So to recap, green banks leverage public dollars to attract large amounts of private capital into green and equitable infrastructure projects, testing out new business models and paving the way for even more private capital to get involved in the process. So then if green banks are this effective, do you see them becoming popular across the country? I believe there are 14 green banks in the U.S. today. So are you working with other stakeholders to expand this model elsewhere in the U.S. and even perhaps around the world? Do you see green banks becoming an even bigger trend going forward? Yes, I, I do. And, and we, um, you know, we, we've had our, you know, we've had quite a number of conversations um, in very recent weeks and you know going back to our establishment with other other states and municipalities in many cases other 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 countries that are looking to uh, replicate you know what we're doing 
And so we, um, you know, we do collaborate, we share ideas, you know, best practices, our learnings as, as we've done with, you know, as others have done with us. Um, and uh, so we have a very collaborative community of, of organizations that are, you know, working together to support other states and municipalities looking to, to, to be able to set up something like we have here in the state of New York. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you breaking this down for us. My pleasure, and uh, always a pleasure to be able to talk about the good work of uh, the New York Green Bank team. There you have it, cities and states and the roles they can play in advancing the divestment and investment movement. We'll leave it there for now. Thanks so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe to Political Climate wherever you get podcasts. We're also on Twitter at poly underscore climate. I'm Julia Piper, signing off for now. Oh,